I wonder if it's going to make him more popular in prison or less popular. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if he's ever going to go back. I bet I bet you he has no intention of going back. I bet him and his big dick are going to have to get shot. From the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. That thing might be able to operate a, a firearm on its own. Hot lead, Saturday night, the rip-roaring summer of 2015. Gun violence raging from tip to shaft of a brutal Monday to Sunday. 13 people shot on the night of Cronus alone. In Saturday's explosive 24 hours, two killed in eight incidents, 13 shot in four boroughs, forgotten borough Shaolin sitting out the violence. For resurgent gun violence, a strong showing for the week. 44 shooting incidents, twice the 22 from 2014, and 53 gun injured, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, murders also on the rise with eight. President of the Detectives Endowment, the police union representing the greatest detectives in the world, Michael Palladino says shootings are up because criminals feel free to carry guns again. This is a dangerous situation that must be addressed quickly before it gets out of control. Others say it's an out of control situation which should be addressed before it gets dangerous. Joining me now, rock DJ Ralph Sutton. How are you, buddy? Good, Ralph. How are you? You know, it's funny. when you I've been listening to your show for a while, and when I heard Smallest Room in, in New York, uh, I thought you were joking, but you were pretty honest about that. <laughs> Thank you. In violent Brooklyn, a 33-year-old victim sitting in a parked car, Prospect Lefferts Gardens, around 4.15 a.m., shot through the head, which is the most likely thing to occur when you're sitting in a parked car in Prospect Lefferts Gardens around 4.15 a.m. 26-year-old shot in the chin, checked himself into a local hospital he's believed to be the winner by knockout after several rounds fired back and forth between himself and the victim that was a shooting in in brooklyn wait so one got shot in the chin and one got shot in the head the way the one yeah exactly yeah wow that is a fight that nobody won jesus (laughs) did one the guy that got shot in the head he died he did wow now the 26 year old shot in the chin he's alive uh, and but you know what? You're right. He doesn't win because he's going to have to answer to that. Yeah, that that's a losing situation. Nothing happens good after three in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's my firm belief. I always try to go home by three a.m. because uh-huh. once it starts past that hour, is when shots get fired into the chin. Absolutely, you know, and and that's why I always say that like uh, these like people who are on parole and shit like that, they need a bedtime, an absolute. <laughs> Not even just being home, a bedtime. Later that night, the mainland borough of Boogie D, birthplace of Linda Lovelace, Pelham Bay Park, and the, the Botanical G, uh, 9 p.m., 184th Street and Creston Avenue, five men in their 20s, fired up by a gray-hooded gunman. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning. Uh, one of the Cinco Hombres in critical condition after being shot in the chest. The cops have no leads, nor do they want any. Uh, Are you really digging up some of the most awful stories going on right now? Well, yeah, that's the crime that's happening. Shootings, crime is up. Why? That's a good question. You said that uh, they say that uh, criminals are not afraid to hold guns anymore. Is that what they're saying? That's uh, that's uh, Michael Palladino of the Detectives Endowment. Was there a time when it was like the criminals were afraid to hold guns? Oh, yes. That was the, the Ray Kelly days. The Bloomberg era. I don't know if there ever stop was and a frisk. Time. I don't think so. <laughs> they would do a, they'd do a quarter million uh, stop and frisk before breakfast do you, in, you think in like the Bloomberg a, era. Some sort of notice went out. It's okay, guys. We can bring guns out of the houses now. Is yes, that what's going on? Yes, it sure did. The front page of the Post <laughs> and the Daily News. They said no more stop and frisk. I'm telling you, it was it, it all started with uh, Shira Sheenland in that ruling. And now uh, stop and frisk has is, is come way down. And, and uh, according to the cops, they say these guys just aren't afraid anymore. They're not afraid to take their guns out with them when they go now I, I don't know if someone leaves the house intending to shoot somebody or if they shoot somebody just because they got their gun on them i would honestly feel like just like i'm trying to be healthy and lose weight mm-hmm. if there's cookies in my house mm-hmm. chances are i'm gonna eat them you put it in front of me mm-hmm. it's gonna happen <laughs> right i think it's the same story if you got a gun on you uh, it's gonna happen i think you're right I think it definitely helps. And you don't leave your with your gun if you know that you're going to get halfway down the block and uh, Officer Friendly is going to do a quick uh, uh, pat down on you. Yeah, you know? or you end up shot in the chin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although it would be cool if that guy ended up with like a really cool cleft chin after the operation that you've always wanted. It could be an upgrade for the guy. <laughs> it start a whole new life. Quite the ladies' man now. Well, uh, this follows a week of relative calm, 13 gun-related incidents. 
So, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a contrast. Uh, maybe maybe things have changed just since last week. Wait, so 13 is much less, it seems. Much, much less. 13 gun-related incidents down from 44. Everybody was watching Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> At 4.15 <laughs> in Prospect Lefferts Gardens. Uh, now, this is an interesting one. Uh, a suspect is being sought by NYPD and four attacks on Asian women. Manhattan, each victim struck by a blunt object carried in a bag. The first attack was last Wednesday. 35-year-old woman at 155 Grand Street, Chinatown. Maybe they were egg rolls that they got attacked by? That's a blunt <laughs> object. That got a little stale. <laughs> you know, he's just leaving with his stuff, like taking her home, you know? Yeah, taking home some food, and yeah. just one thing leads to another. Had a little bonus. Well, a man tried to talk to her, and she ignored him, this uh, 35-year-old. He went away, but he returned later and struck her near the cheek with a bag containing a hard object. I thought it also might be one of those 100-year-old eggs. <laughs> I'm, a, yeah. I'm a firm believer that if a woman doesn't talk to you, it is okay to smack them upside the head. With a <laughs> uh, four hours later, four stops up on the six at 30th and Park. The bag swinger struck again, passed a 29-year-old Asian woman on the sidewalk, but stopped on the corner and waited, hitting her in the face with the bag when she reached the corner. Uh, well, it's, you know. So now he's a serial bag swinger. Yeah, similar M.O., <laughs> In both of these crimes. Continuing wow. uptown, four more stops on the local six. An Asian woman, 34, 1225 a.m., walking near 2nd Avenue and 60th Street. You think you're safe there? Not necessarily. The attacker approached her, struck her in the forehead with a white plastic bag containing a hard object. This is no boat accident. Wow. So you wonder if it's the same object and same bag, or is he upgrading along the way? Yeah. Does he, uh, yeah, does he all, uh, yeah, right. Like, like down in Chinatown, it might have been the 100-year-old egg or the yeah, egg then roll. Then it's a baguette when he gets into the, the French neighborhood. or yeah, yeah, he gets up to the Upper East Side. It's a fucking diamond. Yeah. <laughs> That's something he found. Something must have been working if he keeps doing it. The, the process must have been... Some some sort of accomplishment from him. Because or, I'm, I'm or else he wouldn't have done it four times. Right. He must get some satisfaction. Some out satisfaction of it. must have come of that. Maybe he's he's probably hoping that they will uh, you know rebuff his come on so he can go ahead and get down to the violence. You know, nothing turns on the ladies like a smack upside the head with a bag, a white bag. You know, a lot of them will just uh, they they <laughs> they just will they'll go ahead and say, okay, fine, here's yeah. my number. Uh, back in Chinatown, Monday, 4 p.m., a fourth victim the suspect attempted conversation with a 41 year old asian woman near 48 mulberry street she ignored him why won't you ladies talk to this guy i wonder if he's not asian he's white did they say they don't know well in, in the photo he appeared to be black black okay so he went all the way uptown then came back down to chinatown mm -hmm. to finish his four-person rampage he did and it was a uh, he took the weekend off he gets, <laughs> this is like his well, day bag job. swinging is exhausting from what i understand yeah you need a everybody has a sabbath i guess yeah. <laughs> and she uh so the suspect left once again after she didn't talk to him this is the last victim the 41 year old asian woman and, and she the suspect left returned with a hard object inside a gray bag and hit the victim's forehead. Uh, if you have any information on this bag swinger, 1-800-577-TIPS. Three people in separate boroughs, three separate boroughs, jumped in front of trains last Friday. Jesus. 20-year-old took the Manhattan-bound L to hell, hopping off at Ridgewood, Queens, at a bright and early 10 till 9 a.m. You know, you gotta really be a person uh, filled with despair, I think, to kill yourself just before 9 a.m. on a Friday. Wow, because right before, right before party time, right before the molly kicks in, Things could have happened for Things you. Things could have. You could have met the girl of your dreams. And they these four people all killed themselves in front of a train. Well, there's, you know what? They Yeah, they, they all jumped in front of trains, I believe, with the intention of suicide, although it could have been something else, and only one of them died. Wow. Yeah, there's uh, two that lived. A man in his 40s took the downtown four heading south of heaven around 10.35 a.m., but he didn't die. And then just after 11 a.m., a woman in her 40s sought relief... From the downtown three at 72nd Street, she's in serious but stable condition. Stable, a word with multiple meanings. If you, if you feel, <laughs> if you survive a train smacking, you have to feel like a superhero. You, you must. have to feel like a superhero. Because those trains are heavy. I would imagine they hurt. And they were moving fairly quickly. But I wonder if all four of them wanted to kill themselves. I don't know. Is there any shot that someone fell or someone tripped or someone was pushed or they all were clearly seen jumping? Well, nobody... 
was pushed. There's no suspects, at least, and I don't think that uh, that it's uh, it, it, there, there's no slipping mentioned. I mean, so process of elimination. Yeah, it just seems so such a rough way to go out. You know, it, it does, and then it doesn't. You know, and I think so, in my theory, of course, and I've said this on multiple occasions, is that like you know, you're not necessarily uh, suicidal. You know, when you go to to get the train, but that you're standing on the platform, and then some days the MTA just gives you a little too much time to think about it. I imagine you know? the person in the first car looking out. You really fucked up that person's day. The one who's got to watch your brain matter smack against the windshield. No one wants to see those that. people are never recovering. And 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 the thing is, you don't even have time to get your phone out before it happens. Oh my god. To get a quality recording of that. That damages and, them more than anyone for the rest of their lives. Well, and then, you know, there's also the delay. You know, you've really said 9 a.m. on a Friday. It's got to be the worst. I mean, as far as tra- uh, the traffic on the trains. And the guy that survived, he's there. They're having an awkward conversation until the next train stop. I'm sorry, guys. I, uh... <laughs> I thought this was going to go very differently. Look, uh, you know, I beg your forgiveness, but I'm, I'm obviously depressed. Now, the guy, the last guy stepped in front of the N at 36th Avenue. Uh, that's out here in Astoria, just steps away from the smallest room in New York City, and he also dead. Uh, speaking of that, uh, death, that is, two men are dead being after being uh, viciously beaten in separate incidents. Cops are hunting three men who beat a 47-year-old uh, Bakari Sissoko into a premature grave on a Bronx street in Mount Eden. You ever been to Mount Eden? No, where's Mount Eden? It's it? in the Bronx. Now you're a, I stay away from the Bronx. Lifelong New Yorker. Yeah. Lifelong New Yorker. I go to, in Bronx, I only do City Island, mm-hmm. which is great, and sometimes maybe a zoo or something. Oh, yeah, the zoo. I hear the zoo, it's it's one of the largest, best zoos in the whole world. Yeah, but zoos are sad. As a kid, zoos are great. As you get older, you realize every animal is so fucking miserable. Are they really? Yeah, come on. A polar bear doesn't want to be in New York in the summer. I think that I think that polar bear has no the fuck idea when it's where ninety he would degrees be out. You don't think he realizes I'm not supposed to be here? No, he know. doesn't at all. He swims in a circle. He goes psychotic slowly, like the rest of us do. And then he goes jump in front of a train. He, yeah, exactly. He doesn't even have that as an option. I guess that's the only downside. Uh, you know, uh, cops are hunting for these three guys. Uh, now, uh, one suspect used a cane. Now, for me, and I don't know how you feel about this, but being somewhat crippled doesn't give you the right to beat someone to death. Maybe it was a stylish cane, one of those like peacocking canes, as opposed to an actual cane for troubling walk. Like a uh, oh, you mean like a, a cane made for like beating. a walking stick, like a beating stick. Yes, <laughs> it's like the guy's not even—he's a pimp. You mean yeah, exactly? Rather than uh, than a crippled, injured person, uh, EMS workers responded. They found Sissoko getting attacked. They were still see. That's how these guys—they they were still there beating the guy when the EMS showed up. Oh my god, up. that's got to be awful. And I love EMS beating the cops too. Here's the thing: I don't understand the whole concept of hitting someone after they're down is a very foreign concept to me, yeah. and it happens all the time. I can understand wanting to hit somebody, mm. but when they're unconscious, if you keep going, that is a real psychopath. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, once they're down for these guys, that's when the beating that's begins. That's when the fun starts. That's when you whip out the canes. Yeah, that's when you <laughs> That's when you can really rear back and get a good <laughs> shot in. It's sitting on a tee for you, for Christ's sake. Uh, and now here's the best part. Uh, now the, the assailants ran off, you know, when the EMS got there. They returned... And uh, as the EMS crew was rendering aid, hit Sissoku a few more times. Oh, did they bring the guy with the bag to, to finish him off? <laughs> the bag? Oh, yeah, yeah. He showed up. <laughs> Is this an Asian one? Oh, God, uh, I'll, take, an Asian? A, I'll right. take a swipe anyway. <laughs> uh, a remarkable story of determination on the part of these guys to make sure they beat this guy to death. Well, it was EMS. It wasn't cops, right? That's probably what they figured. They, they saw flashing lights. They're like, oh, the cops are... Oh, wait. It's EMS. But we, this will work because we could, they could get him healthy again and we could beat him up all over yeah, again. Do you mind if we just step in here for a second? Uh, this guy owed us money. You understand. You've relocated his shoulder. Can we dislocate it again and we could just start <laughs> doing this process over and over again? Once he's on the stretcher. Uh, yeah, well, uh, and uh, he, he has died of his injuries. His attackers are still at large 1-800-577-TIPS in Shaolin a man beaten in his home with his baseball bat January 10th just died and I know the question you're asking and you're dying to ask wooden bat or aluminum that was my question. Yes. <laughs> was it a Louisville slugger? That is my question. Oh, aluminum bats have a larger barrel. They're lighter. You can swing them faster. I think they're always the way to go. I would think that wooden bats have more weight to them, mm-hmm. so they would do more damage. That is true. And you get a, and you get a, a, a you get a better thud. I right. think. You know, Plus, you could see how much damage you did based on the chipping 
of the bat itself. And you do know that, like, uh, since since the wooden bats are for the major leagues, uh, when you hear that conk, you know, on the aluminum bat, it kind of sounds like Timmy's hitting a double. Uh, you know, you want to be you, you, you want to be serious at a time like that. I will say this though: the aluminum bat's more dur- durable. Like the last thing you want to do is break the bat before you break the I guy's think skull. That would give me so much satisfaction if I broke the bat on his skull. Yeah. You can't do that with an aluminum bat. And then I suppose you could stab him with like a with the with, shards. With, yeah, that's when it really that's when the fun really begins. Right. Uh, and then there's always the rectal insertion. What kind of what kind of killer are you exactly? I think we know now. <laughs> well, the 30 year old Kashan Blue, going going gone, finally crossed home plate. May 18th, actually. This is the most confusing report of a... So since January, he's been trying to be getting better, and he finally died now? Well, yeah, I think he's probably been laying there on life support, and his family ran out of money. Oh. <laughs> his insurance ended or something. Uh, that would be my guess. Officers tracked it. Maybe he's just been laying in his house. Maybe just hanging out. Just like, yeah. <gasps> It'd be cool if he, if he died from something else, like ODing on cocaine or something. <laughs> he learned nothing from his near-death experience. <laughs> Officers tracked down suspect Sean Dennis in Baltimore. January 20th, and he's been charged with assault and criminal possession of a weapon. But with Blue's death, cops expect an upgrade. An off-duty corrections officer shot and killed a man who police said was trying to steal motorcycles in front of an Ozone Park bike club Saturday night. Ozone Park, are you I actually familiar? heard the story, though. Yeah. This story was in the news. I did hear this story. That the guy was, uh, you know, he shot, he, they, they both shot each other. Yeah, I guess there was some shooting. Uh, he, uh, the man, uh, police said his face was partially covered with bandanas, approached the group in front of NWO Clubhouse on Rockaway Boulevard and 95th Avenue. It's around 10.30 at night. He pulled a gun out. He demanded they drop their motorcycle keys. Police uh, said an off-duty uh, state corrections officer belonged to the group, fired two shots at the suspect, Hitting him in the head. Uh, I'm not seeing anything about the guy getting any shots off. However, I do think it's funny that they need to note he's an off-duty state corrections officer. If he was on duty, he'd be at the yeah, damn exactly. prison, you know? <laughs> it would be weird if he was on duty just hanging out at the NWO clubhouse yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the prisoners. He brings them out for a drink every yeah, now and then. that's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a field trip. <laughs> I've been to Ozone Park. That's in Brooklyn. I think Queens, but I Queens. think it's one of those things that's like right there. Yeah, it's that, right on the border. Over yeah, there. and, and uh, it probably stretches over, and you probably can't tell a big damn difference when you go from one to the other. Uh, it's it's not it's not super nice out there. No, really. it's pretty shitty over there. Yeah, uh, and uh, and so they're out there uh, having a good time, I guess, hanging out in front of this motorcycle club. This guy comes along, tries to steal all their motorcycles. It's also, how did he plan on getting away? That's what I'd like to know. Did he have some sort of cool apparatus to attach all six motorcycles together? The whole together? thing sounds pretty shifty to me. I have a feeling that's not the real story. I think that it's, it, there's a possibility that something's fabricated here. I mean, drop your keys. I'm going to steal all your fucking motorcycles one by one. You guys just stay in there. <laughs> Who would have the fucking balls You to guys do that? keep the motorcycles idling. I'll be back in 10 minutes for the next one. I think this guy had a, a had a he must, <laughs> he must have had the wrong opinion or just had the wrong face. Also, I think it's weird when a uh, off-duty correctional officer is carrying his gun. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not an off-duty cop. An off-duty correctional carrying his gun seems a little weird to me. Yeah, you know, I mean, like a, they they don't not all those correction officers are carrying guns all the time. Right. Certainly. Some of them don't. Some of the prisons they don't even have guns. I guess a correction officer is more than it's not necessarily a guard. It, it could be other stuff, I suppose. Really? Like, I, I don't know, like other stuff that's like not a guard guard, you know? I mean, I always think of a guard as a guy that's like walking up and down. Right. Like, uh, it could be somebody who, uh, oh, I don't know what else it could be. I mean, I'm sure there's other like... The gun uh, holder? Yeah. <laughs> the off-duty gun holder? Well, I'll tell you this. The Department of Corrections had no uh, immediate response to an email seeking comment. Mark my words. And the officer hasn't been charged. This story will come out that it's not what they said. I think you're right. Mark my words. You know, very similar to the the slow way that this story has come out about Tilly Mitchell, one piece of information at a time, the 51-year-old whore of Danamora, who uh, is responsible for springing these two guys up there and at the Clinton Correctional Facility. Yeah, the Shaw Skank. Yes, the Shaw Skank. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Who has now... Uh, admitted that she had a sexual relationship with both of these guys. The proudest day of her and her family's life to be on the front, uh, front cover of both the Post and the Daily News. Uh, one with a reference to uh, blowing it. You know, let's blow this joint. It sounds. <laughs> my my favorite part of this story is they mentioned that one of them was well endowed. Yes. Why is that important? 
Well, it's... Does that guy have a publicist to get it in there? <laughs> Mention I have a big dick? Is it going to be good for me in prison? It's one of his credits, yeah. That's just the weirdest... That was the weirdest part of takeaway for me in that story. Well, you know, the detective who arrested him before is the guy who brought that in. He mentioned it. And I don't know. I guess the detective... Uh, I guess, you know, if you if you uh, come to follow somebody, arrest somebody over time, you get to know him pretty well or something. Uh, obviously and, very well. And, uh, and from reports of everything he's heard, the guy's got a big dick. It's got to make the other guy feel terrible, too. Like, nothing about my dick in like, this? Like, come on, guys. I got a dick here too. Can we just you know? say equally endowed or similarly endowed? I mean, there's only a f- couple of inches difference here, and they're reporting it. <laughs> I wonder if it's going to make him more popular in prison or less popular. I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if he's ever going to go back. I bet. I bet you he has no intention of going back. I bet him and his big dick are going to have to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> that thing might be able to operate a, a, a firearm on its own. Uh, there was a great headline, and I, I can't remember exactly where it was. A news or Mandy Stapp Miller mentioned it to me. She said it was a uh, guy with, uh, let's see, you know, escape prisoner with huge cock still at large. <laughs> 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 Which is a terrifying idea and thought. David Sweat and Richard Matt uh, still on the loose. Uh, gentlemen, if, if you are within the sound of my voice right now. Huge in that huge dick around. Turn yourselves in, boys. <laughs> <laughs> if I was on the lawn, if I was out on the run known to have a huge cock uh, and a badass outlaw, the last thing I would go swinging out to singles bars. You're the most popular man in the city right now. I, I, it seems as if uh, that would be a dangerous way to go, but you know, a man has needs. <laughs> go out and, uh, swinging. As, as is proven by uh, Tilly Mitchell, 51 year old Tilly Mi- Mitchell. What a looker. Uh, this woman is, uh, you know, I, I suppose that these gentlemen who were in the uh, tailor shop were, uh, you know, just about ready to nail anything. It's odd that women are in men's prisons. You'd think that that wouldn't be the case. This almost sounds misogynist. No, I don't think it's misogynist. Do you? I don't think so. Well, I'm just trying to cover all the bases yeah, here. I'm sure know? it is, but I'm, I'm just so saying seldom do I get a chance to say that. It just seems like a bad idea for any reason when you're dealing with criminals to put females into that mix. Yeah. I just think you're asking for problems. And uh, I, I would have to agree that, uh, that, you, that you have a point. They uh, find themselves a weak uh, sins of the flesh and, and all the, that. And the, Especially the, not serial, uh, you know, uh, uh, like uh, adulterers uh, such as herself. And the opposite, I think, shouldn't be true either. You shouldn't have men working in all female prisons. No, that I think is okay. I'm sure you would. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think so. I think no, I don't think it's right either. I think that's bad also because the car, the guard's going to uh, get sexual favors for letting them have certain privileges. Yeah. I mean, granted, there's homosexuality that happens also, but I think you're severely mitigating it by allowing only same-sex in those prisons. Are you saying no homosexuals either? No, homosexuals fine. But I'm saying that's going to happen. But I think that you're reducing the problem if you get out, I think, what do they say? Ninety percent of the world is straight, and ten percent is gay. Is that about right? I I, I, I've heard that as a number. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't I mean, know how we got on the topic of gay men the, all of a sudden. But well, yeah, no, uh, no, because you said uh, you know that you know some so homosexuality would happen. There's going to be a, a, a temptable gay uh, prison guard. Right. He's like, man, I heard about that big old dick, Matt. <laughs> Whip that thing out. We'll yeah, see what we can do about getting you out of here. See about you getting some yard duty. <laughs> You know what? We may be able to negotiate something here. Uh, now, what do you need? Some tools? A couple of drill bits? A hacksaw? Done. You're never going to make it out of here. I, I wonder if she thought about this ahead of time. But these guys are going to be on the loose. These hardened criminals. Uh, killers. This, uh, you know, Richard Matt did some pretty right. bad shit. Actual yeah. killers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cut a guy up uh, into, into, into however many pieces you need for that to be bad. Uh, he, he uh, The guy was in his trunk. If, you, if you're letting this guy fuck you, you're certainly not considering long-term consequences. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's right. She was madly in love. At first, they tried to play it up like she was in love. He made her feel loved. And it's like, well, she fucked them both. All right. <laughs> uh, they both loved me. <laughs> it was like a triangle of love, you might call it. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's what happened. Is the one guy got got kicked out of the tailor shop uh, because she was a seamstress there, and they they people like, we hear they have a relationship with this guy. They got they they wouldn't let him go there anymore, and then she took up with the other. That's when the other guy stepped in, the smaller dick guy. Oh man, smaller dick guy got to clean up, and. Uh, and now they're both on the list. They were going to kill her husband, too. Jesus Christ. Yeah. She has a husband on top of that. I didn't know she had a husband. She's got a husband. Not only does she have a husband, Tilly Mitchell, but this guy works in the prison. 
No. Yes, wow. he does. Yes, he does. And, he, and I'd say he doesn't command that much uh, respect right now at the moment. I think you're being kind by saying that. I'd say that he's probably a very angry person. I wish I could be at that first dinner when they first found out about it and she had to go home and talk to her husband. Mm. That would have been magical. Misogyny is born, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know he's got to ask, is he bigger than me? That is the first question out of his, uh, out of his mouth. And, and I know the bigger one's bigger than me. I'm talking yeah. about the other <laughs> guy. The other guy. <laughs> Am I bigger than one of them? <laughs> Whichever one you most recently sucked <laughs> off. What a, what a uh, you know, and the guy is, uh, you know, I mean, like, he's, he, he's the one who got her uh, through. He cheated to get her, this guy. This Lyle Mitchell, mm-hmm. from what I understand, she had sex with him out on some railroad tracks outside the slipper factory. But they used to both, both work at a romance. slipper factory. Such romance. Such <laughs> romance. And uh, then they got together. They got married. Uh, she divorced her first husband, uh, Toby. And Toby actually uh, had a son named Toby that they were together with. Now, Toby was raised by Mitchell, this other guy, Lyle Mitchell. And now uh, Toby, of course, says, there's no way she would do that. There's no way she would cheat on my dad, his wife. There's no way this is... I can't even believe you people are saying this is so... It makes me so angry that you're claiming Joyce Mitchell, Tilly Mitchell, would do such a thing. And then she's like, yeah, I actually actually did do all that. uh, Yeah, sorry. Thanks for going to bat for me, but I really did fuck every single one of these guys. It's like you could have said something. You know what I mean? Let let your poor son in on it in the beginning. Well, uh, those guys, if you see them out there, uh, you know, uh, regard them with the utmost... uh, Look for a guy walking with a limp. Yeah. For one guy with a bulge, <laughs> the other guy less of a bulge. Well, love at first sight is wonderful. But very say. well tailored suits, both of them, thanks yeah, to the yes. seamstress. <laughs> this comes from the post. Uh, married, married at first sight is apparently a, uh, a game show, a reality show, or something. A Queens woman went on this cable reality show in which two strangers get hitched after a meeting. Well, she's filing uh, uh, court papers now saying her random groom threatened to kill her and her family. Uh, you know, it's so far, it doesn't really sound any worse than a regular marriage. No, but it just it's a great, desperate move to ma- just to get on a reality show, marry the first time you meet each other. Yeah, yeah, that's, what it, that's how far they'll go. And if it doesn't work out, and sue then, the show. And then surprise <laughs> that it doesn't work out. That's the best part about that. I don't understand how they could find somebody who would have these kind of impulsive instincts uh, it, that they follow, you know, on a show like this. You think this show screams stability? Her uh, experiment in whirlwind weddings on A&E's uh, Married at First Sight. This is Jessica Castro, who's 30. They went horribly wrong after her groom, Ryan De Niro of Staten Island made his uh, creepy murder vow in March. I will break you into fucking pieces. The 29-year-old business consultant raved, according to a Queen's family court petition filed Friday. A family court petition. That sounds weak. But it said he was a business consultant. Maybe he was talking to, like, the head of KFC on what they should do for their next business model. And, and Break he, it into pieces. And, 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 and he was overheard. Yeah, know, and they misconstrued the it completely. Wait a second. You were talking to uh, some sort of business associate? <laughs> <laughs> I will break your dad into pieces. Oh. I will break your... I will make your whole family disappear and your fucking dog-ass sister's boyfriend. Well, not the sister, <laughs> but the boyfriend of the sister. Yeah, that shows he's got a little bit of class, I think. <laughs> I, guess, I guess the sister's always been nice to him. Yeah. In her dog-ass ways. Oh, is it dog-ass? <laughs> dog-ass sister. Boyfriend. Uh, boyfriend, I think. Yeah. You're right, though. It might be her fucking dog-ass sister's boyfriend being the, the boyfriend is a dog-ass dog sister. Ass. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> While taping a reunion show in May. They actually a reunion show. Wow, after this <laughs> comment was made. No. <laughs> Uh, he allegedly made a slip-up reminiscent of millionaire murder suspect uh, Robert Durst's admission that he killed them all. Remember that from the Jenks? Mm-hmm. Well, he says, uh, according to the petition, Danino uh, was caught on a live mic saying, she's fucking dead. When I get back to Brooklyn, she's fucking dead, this girl. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really not a good thing to say. And uh, he's uh, Castro, uh, a law firm, a receptionist, and they uh, and Danino, they appeared on season two of the show. I guess season one must have gone okay. After getting married in December, they proceeded to live together for several weeks in which the producers taped the conflicts that would naturally arise from two strangers coupling. Yes. That's that's a, what like a great a, idea. So ridiculous. I remember... It's just not that far off of real life, though. It's not, but wasn't there... Um, God, what was her name? Jenny something. She had a reality show 
not real, like a like a Ricky Lake type, where she set people up to surprise your friend is actually gay and loves you, and then he killed the guy. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. I mean, it yeah, seems I do like remember that. Yeah. You'd think the producers are liable for this. I'm they, sure that they're they, the ones that are putting the situation together. Yeah, they should have something to do they with this. They have some sort of bearing on this. Like they, It's their fault more than anybody. Well, you see, they've learned since since Jenny, uh, whatever her name was, and they've gone like, okay, we'll make them sign everything. So they're not responsible. That we're not responsible for anything ever. You're responsible for everything always. But we're going to tape it all. From now through all perpetuity in every universe and alternate universes those tv contracts are really extreme and and like yeah say? but i think still think that just because i sign if i sign a contract with you mm -hmm. that is completely irrational i don't think that'll hold up in court am i wrong if i if you say i don't know i just can't see that holding just because well yeah but you know if i have a team of of you know 12 of, of hollywood's finest lawyers lawyers they go well here's the deal yes you, we can do anything and uh you know, it's it's like I, what I, from what I understand, they do so much background and stuff that, like, when they do, uh, like, first of all, they, I'm sure they select people where they know it's going to go bad. Yeah, we've heard this guy likes to kill people. Let's get him on a marriage this show. This guy has a murderous bad temper. <laughs> She's a kind of a, of a cunt. Yeah. Let's put him <laughs> together and see what happens. That's what that's what the show should be called. Yeah. It should be called the, the cunt and the grouch. <laughs> the cunt and the murderer. <laughs> uh, but this, you know, these, uh, the child molester family, uh, the incest child molester guys, uh, and this is on reality TV with Duggan. Yeah, the Duggan, the eighteen and counting guy. See, right they must have, see they knew about that. Yeah, that's not a surprise. They had to know about that before they did it. Before this happened, I'd say at least the eighteen of them probably knew about it. Yeah, but I mean, even like yeah. uh, like uh, TLC or who? Yeah, I'm sure they do. Uh, you know, and then they uh, they play it off like whoop surprise. Whoa. And I got to say, this not very often am I ever going to side with any sort of like uh, you know in, in incest person or, or child molester or anything like that. But those kids are good looking. They. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they were really cute. <laughs> and he was just a curious boy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess they broke up in, uh, in February. Show's producers, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they took Danino's May reunion show Death Threat so seriously that they provided Castro with security personnel, according to the filing. But is the show going to air? That's the best question. You know, I don't know. That, that, would, be, be, that I, would be great, especially if they air that mic piece. Uh, uh, you know, Danino posted on Instagram to say he was disgusted by the allegations. I'm just going to have to, uh, I'm just going to have to, f it's Instagram. What do you mean? He must have just made a face. Like, <laughs> and then he captured took his it. brownie selfie. <laughs> Himself being served with some papers or something. Uh, now, did I say that crime was up? It's true. Crime is up. Trouble downstairs, even. Subway crime up 20%. Almost. Robberies and grand larcenies driving the figure. Subway robberies have soared 65% in the last four weeks, up 10% for the year. Transit police bosses called to the carpet. Is that the way to say that? Called to the called on the carpet? There's some carpet. There's some carpet and there's some calling. That's and as far there. as I'll go. It's headquarters. Uh, they've been called to headquarters to explain the alarming spike. Uh, and and uh, we, I'll catch you up with that on the next episode. We will find out later exactly what those guys had to say. Tell me, uh, Ralph Sutton is my guest today. Rock DJ of the uh, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll podcast, the SDR podcast, which you can find at... Uh, anywhere, pretty much. iTunes anywhere, or iTunes. All, all things comedy, every, anywhere like that. You listen to me, you know how to find a <laughs> podcast, obviously. Uh, the SDR podcast. Also, um, uh, God, Ralph, your other show. Yeah, I have a radio show called The Tour Bus. Yes. It's yeah. on about 45 regular rock terrestrial stations around the country. And I host two rock cruises. One's called The Motorhead Cruise, the motorboat, and The Ship Rock Cruise, which is already sold out for next year. So don't bother trying to get tickets for that Shiprock cruise. The shit is sold out. But the Motorhead cruise, you can join me. Motorhead, Slayer, Anthrax, Exodus, all on a boat. There's no way the average rock fan could afford to go on such an extravagant trip. It's not that expensive. You're kidding. You, you can what? go. You can do four people quad up on a, on a room, and it's not that expensive. That's uh, Well, how do you get tickets for that? Motorheadcruise.com. A motorhead cruise. What kind of people do you typically meet on a motorhead? Really unattractive people. <laughs> But on the upside, a lot of them are naked. Yeah, that's true. We do we do have a motorboating contest every year. Oh, where we bring guys and girls to motorboat each other. 
So man boobs getting motor. Oh, a lot of man boobs getting uh, getting motorboated. Man, you're really selling me on this cruise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going for the music. You're not going for the chicks. Let's put it Absolutely. that way. Absolutely, Motorhead. What a classic, great band. And you said Anthrax. Motorhead, Slayer, Anthrax, Exodus, uh, Corrosion of Conformity, and Green Jelly. No, no Green Jelly. <laughs> they had to change their name, you know. Yeah, that's right. From Green Jelly. From Green Jelly, they got sued. But you want to see that? Uh, God, that, that does sound like a good time. Uh, and and you uh, and you're the DJ there. I'm the host, the host of that of that and Shiprocked every year. Uh, Shiprocked is seven years now. Motorhead Cruises is the second one. Man, you could probably pretty much take a lot of the year off after you do one of those. Oh, right? you need it. You need it. It's five <laughs> days of nonstop drinking and partying. Yikes! Out there on a boat. Where? How far do you guys go out? From from uh, Miami to the Bahamas or to anywhere in the Caribbean. It changes every year. Oh man, that sounds great. A it's really scary. It's it's fun, mm. but you better really dig that music because it's a lot of music. So many people do. If you're into the Motorhead and and and, and the Anthrax and you're really Slayer, showing, you're you showing see. your age by the way by saying <laughs> the Motorhead. <laughs> Yeah, the hipsters know. <laughs> it's just Motorhead. <laughs> and uh, outstanding. And and you yourself have been a victim of crime a couple of times, right? A few times. Well, I was a victim twice, and I was the, I guess, the, the criminal once. That was pretty bad. But. Ooh, what's your criminal? So when I was a wee lad, uh, 15, so we're talking uh, 85, 84, I was very involved with the illegal aspect of computers. We're talking hacking kind of stuff. And I would also do stupid things like uh, change grades for people, like print out fake report cards for kids, mm -hmm. which only at most gave them a couple of month reprieve because their parents were going to find out eventually that the, that the all failing you know, report card was fake. Well, yeah, you that's know, all you need is just to stave it off. For yeah, a while. just stave it off for a little while. But we it's started a, a computer hacking in '85. Yeah, you're using like a like, BBSs, dial-up modems. Right. You know, I don't know how you like know like a, a tin can on a string. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like a, <laughs> it was a dial-up. Like if you watched the old war games, where it was a three. I don't know how computer tech savvy you are, but oh yeah, very. Um, my first uh, modem was a 300 baud modem, which, by <sighs> way of comparison, today I think the average one is 100 megs. So, you know, Megs goes to kill a bit. You know, it, you know it's like changed a lot yeah, when they're not even using the same... Uh, they're not even saying, yeah, the same terminology. <laughs> and it was all text, and we would do things like, you know... And this is, and this is like the green flashing text old, on a yeah, black screen. Yeah, like, like a Unix screen, yeah. And we would change our phone bills. We would, you know, do all things that we shouldn't be doing back then. Back when long distance was a problem. Yeah, but that's what it all started with, was long distance being a problem, where... My parents knew what we were doing, mm. but they were fine with it because, A, we were home all the time, mm. and, B, their phone bill was $3 a month all of a sudden, <laughs> you know? And when we got busted... In short, they were culpable, yeah? Yeah. So they, what happened was I was having uh, dinner with my mother, my brother and I. We get a doorbell ring, and it's just like you'd see in the movies, an FBI badge at the door. Could we speak to the parents of Ralph and Joe Sutton, please? Mm. And I was like, uh, Mom? And I got my mom, mom came out, asked them to come back because we were having dinner. And they said, okay, which I can't believe that, but they didn't have a warrant. How about the FBI? Yeah, how nice are they, yeah. right? And we found out through my uh, mother's, my father's lawyer, that if they don't have a warrant, don't let them in and agree to nothing, don't go outside. Mm. And then we bought ourselves some time Yeah. and we got a lawyer. It was supposed to be, which is crazy when I say this, a $300,000 fine and potentially two years in jail. Jesus. But we were underage. Then it was going to be, uh, what do they call that, uh, probation for uh -huh. two years. But finally, they just gave up. They let us go. We scared the shit out of us. And we got off. But it was scary. If I didn't have my father get us a really good lawyer, I probably would have at least done probation for a couple of years. You know, a really good lawyer is often the difference between yeah. somebody going down forever and in, in, uh, in, in, you know, becoming a criminal, becoming a person with a criminal record, uh, becoming somebody uh, who, who, you know, by a lot of women, they won't date a guy if he's done time, right. you know, and, and, uh, and who could blame them? Some women will only date a guy if he's done time. That's right. right. There's a certain kind of woman, <laughs> a Tilly Mitchell, <laughs> exactly. you know, after, after, you know, the, the after the love train uh, back there at Clinton... <laughs> Clinton State, you know, uh, she's going to have a hard time uh, getting wet for an average yeah. guy, but that's not going to be a problem for her. She'll be, uh, all her sex will be uh, ACAC uh, for, for <laughs> from a now on. Time. Yeah, for, for a while. Now, here's my question, though. Where do you find a good lawyer? And here's your answer at crimereport.nyc. You go up to that left side, Mazzy and Polk, Jim Polk, defense attorney. You know, as far as criminal defense attorneys, 
He's the best one that I know. He's so he's possibly the only one that I know, but he's the one who's always on the show. On the and, very uh, short list, he's the best one you know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that is a short, it's an elite <laughs> list as it is. Uh, yeah, Jim Polk. Always give him a call whenever you have trouble. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Go to crimereport.nyc, and I want you to copy down that phone number, follow the link, and, uh, you know, it'll open in a separate thing. You're always browse through our shows and stuff. Listen to this while you're, you know, doing it. I like how you're talking to the listener like they've never seen a website before. Well, you know, that's the thing about this show. We appeal to that. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go to a browser and you're going to type this in. www. There's a computer, right? <laughs> Turn it on. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I'm old. <laughs> That's I'm sure thing. I'm older than you. <laughs> we're, we're, we're of comparable age. Uh, the important thing is, uh, what were you having for dinner that night when the FBI... That's a good question. Up? I have no idea. Uh, I know soon after I was shitting my pants. I don't know if that counts as dinner. Back in the 80s, I bet you were, but yeah. it was always like uh, you know, the, the women were still cooking. Back yeah, then. my mom was a big advocate for the family dinner. Yeah. You know, even though my parents were divorced since I was five, but my brother my mother and I and whoever my mother was dating at that point uh-huh. uh, would always sit around and have dinner at least four nights a week. It was like a thing that she was adamant about. An attempted father figure. Yes. Yeah. Only black men throughout the entire 80s. My mother only dated black men. Wow. Now, was that like an affirmative action deal? Or? I think she was trying to give back. Yeah. <laughs> well, mission accomplished. <laughs> exactly. Ten years of it. <laughs> and, uh, well, did, did you find that those guys, that those guys were the good father figures? Uh, uh, one of them, actually, I'm still friendly with to this day, mm-hmm. which, you know, they broke up when I was probably... Who, who Some father was figure him. he is, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were still, we're still actually uh, friends. That's kind of funny. Like, they broke up probably when I was 16. He was when I was, she was dating at the time. Yeah. And uh, to this day now, we're, we still talk. We think it's kind of nice. A, a, a black gentleman. Very cool black dude. Who was, who was kind enough to to take to, uh, sort of become a father figure to you after abandoning his own family. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and he would call them up laughing, showing pictures of our dining room table eating. Oh, yes, I saw that in a movie. I think it was uh, Are We There Yet? Yeah, or how's, with, how's, with Ice Cube. How Ralphie got his groove back, I yeah. think is what it's good having you here, Ralph. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I have to ask you one question. What's that? Have you ever done news radio? Because you sound like you should be if you... No, I uh, I was... Uh, yeah, comedian. That's it. Yeah. Before that, I was a dishwasher. Oh, really? Yeah. The, uh, and, and I know you got to go. I know your time is short. The N train had a, a bit of a, a, a masturbation episode. Uh, that's to put it lightly. A man... Uh, if you want to see a video of this... Please go to what I was just about to mention, the uh, New York City Crime Report with Pat Dixon page on Facebook. The most appalling example of a guy touching himself on this is the creepiest video on a New York City subway I've ever seen. What I loved about it, if I'm going to be honest, was his two-handed, two-fingered masturbation technique. Yes. I've never quite seen that before. It was like, first of all, it was overhand, Mm. and it was just the index finger and the thumb it was a really unique stroking motion. It was kind of an adapted pinch and roll. Yeah, it was really... That, to me, was the most hypnotic thing. And as I was telling you, I think the worst thing the woman did was videotape it because she's validating his experience. That's right. She's video. She videos it the whole time. He gets on at 42nd Street. So from 42nd Street to Astoria uh, Boulevard. That's yeah. he, all the way to the end. Kudos for his staying power. <laughs> he didn't blow his load yeah, in his pants. Kudos to him. He, uh, I think he was just working it up. In fact, he followed her off the train, and now I just want to I'll always say, uh, please, everybody, women, men, especially women, be careful on the train. Be careful everywhere you go. Um, but the, the, the whole time, eleven stops. This guy did this for, and he was, uh, and she's, you know, shooting him with the with the phone. And uh, I believe she tried to move to a different part of the car, and he followed her. And he followed her. Uh, now, I would hope, my God. Get out of the car. Run down four cars. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that is just weird that you're staying on the car unless... And shooting him with the video, as you said, this, this does, you know, gratify him. I'm sure he feels very gratified by the video. It's almost like they're making a porn together. Yeah, now they're dating. It's... <laughs> She had a friend of a friend who knew him from OK Cupid, and the guy actually came forward. He said, "Yeah, I'm the guy, and, and I heard about the video. A friend of a friend." And he said, "I'm really sorry." He apologized, and so I'm going to go into more detail uh, with that story as we uh, we we'll, we'll, we'll detail his confession. That would be awesome. It's one of the creepiest videos I think I've ever seen because yeah. he has such a death stare 
while he's doing it, it's really creepy. Yeah, he's looking rather right at you. Yeah, you know, as you. I mean, like, I was hoping it was me. That's got me worked up right away. <laughs> I started mimicking his technique. People uh, might be aroused by this video. <laughs> uh, I, I, I found it to be appalling. Oh my god, that, that this woman tolerates on the N train. Yeah, I mean, on the I, N train. You know, you masturbate on the Q train. Nobody sure. does it on the N train. Take the Q. You take the J. Maybe the J is full of masturbators. The L train. Whatever. There's even a None masturbation station. Over over on the L. Uh, <laughs> you get up, pick up some lube. They sell it as a concession. There's a lot of beating off on the train. I understand that I've heard women say every woman sees this. Every woman deals with this all the time. Um, uh, train masturbators. I, uh, I Personally, I've, if a woman was rubbing her crotch looking at me, you would think it would be fun, right? Depends on how hot the chick is. I'd start flexing and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, be careful on the entry. Thanks again, Ralph Sutton. Thank you for having me. And, and find him at uh, SDR, uh, the SDR podcast, or at the, uh, Jesus, at the, at the Motorhead. The Motorhead uh, Cruise. The Motorhead Cruise. And I never say this enough. I get so much crap for it. My Twitter is I am Ralph Sutton. I am Ralph Sutton. Yes. Please follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Yes, and uh, and like as I said, go to crimereport.nyc, find us there, and do me a big favor. If you listen to the show and you like the show, if you leave a, a great review on iTunes or on Stitcher, it's it means a lot, you know. And we, I seriously appreciate it. Read all that stuff, and it has something to do. Like it's factored into a rating of some kind. It's not just like a, oh, please praise me. I don't, it's not that. Although I enjoy it, it's nice, appreciate it, and all that. But it's 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 more related to uh, like it, I don't know. It helps the show in some way. I don't know. It's an algorithm. I don't know. How it is. I, I know how the algorithm works. If yeah. You want some some insight on that? I could. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm very curious. But it does help. Those reviews help. Our, our show was. Uh, uh, SDR show was number one in iTunes comedy for a week. No kidding. Which is crazy. We're always in the top 40 of iTunes comedy because I wow. I know how to buck the system. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, well, we will be talking. Uh, and uh, yeah, so do that and we appreciate it. And, uh, and thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Is it over? No, Hank, it's not over. The new movie, Requiem for the Dead, uh, is directed by Nick Dube and Sherry Cookson. They put the mo uh, movie together out of all uh, found footage. It's an amazing movie. I got a sneak peek at it. It debuts on HBO on uh, June 22nd. Here's my interview with Nick Dube and Sherry Cookson. Talking to Nick Dube and Sherry Cookson, the directors of Requiem for the Dead. What's it like to make a movie out of found footage rather than uh, a you know, traditional shoot? Well, I think our process was different in making this film, but our instinct was the same. We were trying to find something that felt authentic and like it was coming from the voice of the subject. But in this case, um, the subjects weren't living, and so... Um, we were on the hunt for something that felt like it could talk, um, not politically, not experts and not people looking back at these lives, but, uh, something that would sort of be in the present about these lives and how they were suddenly cut short, um, by a gunshot. And so we spent a lot of time looking for pieces of these lives that remained and were surprised really how much we did find in social media and in the police files and in newspaper articles and I don't know if first we thought we were going to make a film completely out of these elements because we usually are working in a cinema verite style and we spend a lot of time with people shooting so this was completely a different way to think about it but all the other plans that we kept thinking of doing it just didn't seem like the kind of films we made. I think that's really what pulled us into yeah. it. I, mean, I, I think, there were, in a funny way, there were more similarities than differences between. I mean, we the the whole um, our whole approach is to is to sort of get as close as we can to the to with the characters in the film, which is what helps make you know character driven films. And we were doing the same thing with this. We just had to use um, we we had to use different methods, but. Uh, we were looking for a kind of authentic voice, and uh, the the social media posts especially 
gave us that, and it uh, and it was a sort of a time capsule of present tense history. I mean, it was we could go back years in these people's lives, um, or we could go minutes before they were killed, and uh, and you, you you sort of understood how that person was facing life at, in that moment. It's like these people came to life for us, and we got to know them, and then we had this realization that that they had died. And it was really, really powerful just for us on our human level. Like, it hit us hard. Like, we mourned their passing for real because we, we were invested in them. We knew them. We couldn't believe they had been taken. And that was the spirit I think we tried to um, put into making the film is to allow people to come to know them mm. because then you really realize what what's taken it's and it's happening 8,000 deaths in a season mm -hmm. that's a lot of people we have about 110 people in the film altogether something like that that's a little bit more than one percent of all the people who died last spring mm -hmm. but if I mean it feels it's like this endless parade of daggering. of people who've passed on it's fascinating to be able to make a film like this, which um, 20 years ago, there, there wouldn't have been a movie there at all. And uh, can I say, having seen it, um, Requiem for the Dead, an HBO documentary, which will be released, um, which I believe debuts... Um, the 22nd of the June. 22nd of June. Uh, and, and I highly recommend it because you do go on that trip, you feel it, um, and, and you... You've, the, it's effective, um, what you described, the feeling of loss for the people, and, and it does... It it uh, and, and and I want to I want to ask about something you just mentioned. Now you said it's only about one percent, a very small percentage. How did you narrow it down? How did you pick the particular stories you decided to go with? The film went through some evolutions, and uh, you know, in the beginning we Googled like anybody, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, we found stories you know that were and headlines that were um, on the internet fairly early on we there was there were about ten of them which um, we felt could be s shaped to make a film sherry it, it for i don 't know three or four days stayed up and, and in a kind of fever dream made a, a sort of presentational cut. We brought that to HBO, to Sheila Nevins um, and Nancy Abraham, more as a casting reel, really, than as a way to make the film. And and Sheila immediately saw that as as a um, as an approach to making the film. This is how to do it, she said. Well, I mean, I remember just thinking that um, we first had about 400, 500 headlines. I couldn't even make heads or tails. My brain just couldn't even understand what those headlines were. Like, I just couldn't. I, how would you pick? And how would you remember? And how would you sort it out? And so, you know, start, you put a picture. Okay, I'm going to Google this person. Okay, here's the picture. You get so interested when you read the stories, like, well, what really happened? Like, how, how did this father kill his whole family on Father's Day? Like, that's, that's, I can't even comprehend that. And so... I wonder what else I could find. And you go on Facebook, and, and there's their Facebook pages, you know. And I just was astounded by this. Like, oh, my goodness, here's this woman. And she posted this the day before she died. And she didn't know she was going to die, but I know she's going to die. And the feeling of this, like, everyday post suddenly felt huge you know like this is the last picture of herself that she's ever going to put on here you know and those last pictures are, are poignant those last pictures are poignant mm -hmm. you know and the way that people are able to document themselves now and, and it, it it does leave a record behind mm -hmm. uh, one of the stories turner bronson uh, shot his brother as you're watching you know there's going to be an unhappy ending on all of these and yet you still get so wrapped up in yeah. you know the the building of of tension and uh, and in the stories you get you get wrapped up and you get you identify I think I think I identified quite strongly with Turner and not not as a killer but as just a you're a younger a, brother right yeah as a, as a I'm a younger brother and I just oh. I and he's he was a sort of a cut up and you know he was it's a prankster kind of kid something happened at some moment that uh, 
that is probably forever going to be a mystery. But it's um, from what we understand, there was um, he wasn't doing very well, uh, and he was having a sort of a hard time with his brother, especially yeah. why, how he got a gun, why he used it on his brother. We don't know. Oh. It's a mystery. Yeah, yeah, but some things even social media don't reveal, I suppose. Yeah. It's a new kind of storytelling. It's exciting to watch, yeah. and it's yeah. interesting. The, the film runs, I believe, about an hour, just over an hour. Uh, did you decide on that because it's particularly intense? Um, our first cut was a little bit longer, maybe 10 minutes longer, I would say. And I think when we brought it to HBO and we all sat down and watched it, and could talk about it as a kind of finished thing that you could look at. It was very hard to. But we had it, one more story. Yeah, keeping in, at it that moving point. along seemed important in the film, like just the momentum of it. So we ended up making it shorter, mm-hmm. just because we felt like the sort of concentration of stories was probably better at that length. It's mm-hmm. an unusual well, length. I think, but you know, I think the other thing that happened is that it, it, there's a you, you kind of reach a limit where you, how much you can take in. And, it, and you start to tune out after, you know, at some point. And I think we found that, that this extra story was, um, it, it sort of put people over the top and, and uh, it, was, it was too much. You just, you, a, you, at some point your defenses come up or, and, and you just don't want to hear anymore. Mm. On the one hand, you don't want to bum people out. Right. On the other hand, you also don't want them to become numb to the reality that's by exactly. just exposing them to yeah. this barrage of information yeah. about this. I, I think that's right. I think you you start numbing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And and it's interesting to note that although it's a certainly a serious film, um, you are able to have a lot of light moments. And I think mm-hmm. that that lightness, as we watch people... Um, say, uh, you know, celebrating with family or having fun with friends and seeing them experience uh, the, uh, you know, the joy of life is what makes it feel especially tragic. Which, which affected you personally the most? Gosh, it, it, it's so hard because on one hand, the random act, you know, a bride just, you know, finished getting married, driving off and having, you know, the shooting happen right then on this day the roundness of that you know just that it could be anytime anywhere mm-hmm. you could be shot that's really scary how do you ever protect yourself from that you know i do think though that the thing it's hard to pick out a single story that uh, that was most affecting at least for me there's something about the accumulation um that is the thing that gets to me and so that those headlines there are these headlines between the stories where um, you see somebody's face, and you see a headline which says what happened. Are, it, it, you feel like it's starting to become something. It's like a, a, a bigger than what we can portray in this one film. I mean, it, it feels like a, a sort of a, a tide is coming in, and it's uh, that's that's sort of scary to me. I'm curious, yeah. did you seek uh, the permission or uh, from families to tell the stories uh, through the social media? profiles of the of the subjects with well yeah, or cooperation we we, uh, i should say no i mean we're able to use the material because it was all posted of publicly mm-hmm. and so it's a you know a fair use situation for us as filmmakers to use it because I- anybody could have seen you know that material mm-hmm. uh, we notified the the eight stories we notified the families you know, that it was going to be on the air so that they would know, you know, they were a part of it. But We've spoken with a number of the families um, now. I mean, it's uh, reassuring to us, at least, that it, they've been very supportive of the film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it felt like such an intrusion to go in right after the, the, the killings. Yeah, we just couldn't to figure go out how in. they would the, do that. It seemed like if... It, I don't know, if it were me, if somebody were asking me to do some awful thing had happened in my family, um, I don't think I could have tolerated somebody coming into film. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Understood. Yeah. And, 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 and the response has been positive from the families you've spoken to. Very positive so far. Oh, that's, um, that's great. And, and it should be, because all their stories are told with, with you know, respect and, mm-hmm. and, and really with really told very well, you know, in a compelling way and in a way that makes um, the world mourn their loss, uh, you know. Even though gun violence is such a politicized uh, issue, 
you, the film really transcends politics and, and focuses on the human side. Uh, how did you strike that balance? Well, the film didn't have an agenda. I mean, you I think wanted that, to yeah. stay true to that, and yeah. also, you know, it's such a an issue in this country that it, it causes such polarity, and you know, you can you can be you know, for guns or not for guns, but who can be for gun violence? I mean, that doesn't, you know, so... Even the suicides, you know, I understand that the, the largest number of people who commit uh, suicide with guns uh, of the various ways to commit suicide are the least likely to have been mentally ill, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the past. So um, it can uh, it can be quick, and, and, and it, it, there's only five minutes of consideration or less generally given to a suicide and so having a quick easy method on hand certainly could make the difference in life or death thanks for taking the time to talk to me nick dube and sherry cookson they're directors of requiem for the dead thank you yeah, the premieres on hbo june 22nd